0: So how do we fill our cup enough to go in day in, day out, and take care of folks and deal with all the different emotional traumas that we're dealing with?
1: Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving target. This is the January 15th update of DKP Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objectives are describe how the mental health of clinicians has been affected by COVID and identify tools to increase resilience. With us today, we have Erin Sutton, Behavioral Health Faculty at Abington Family Medicine Residency Program. Thanks for your time, Aaron.
0: Hey, thank you so much for having me and Happy New Year. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that I think is very important to discuss as we continue with this pandemic, which is the mental health impact that this has really taken on clinicians and healthcare workers in general. And the slide that we're looking at now is really a, a typical timeline of traumatic events. And as we look at this, I think an event that we can look back and actually think about how this may look like as it's portrayed here is the events from 9-11, which was a singular event. And we can actually see where uh, we had a pre-disaster phase, and then we had a heroic phase when we certainly were talking about our heroes, and then the honeymoon phase that happened after that, and then the, the disillusionment of what had happened and what had occurred and then the reconstruction. And I think the reason that we're having such a difficult time right now, and the reason why this continues to be an ongoing trauma for folks is that uh, we just went through what the the worst month of the COVID-19 pandemic has been, which was uh, December of 2020. And we start to look back at what happened in March, and we can see here where people were really treated like heroes, and that people were frontline workers, teachers were seen as heroes, We saw the disillusionment of how can this happen? How did we we reach a point where this could be? But we never really entered into that reconstruction phase, right? We're never able to really move past this because, again, we're still going. And hopefully, as a vaccine starts to come out and people start to get vaccinated, that we're going to see this hopefully turn more into, in the future, we can look back and say, hey, this is what a typical timeline of a traumatic event looks like when we had different periods of trauma. So, what kind of mental health concerns are we talking about when we talk about the mental health of how it's been on healthcare workers and those working on the front line, especially clinicians? And the first thing I want to talk about is what is a moral injury? And this is a topic that has been talked about more in the last several months, probably than, than any time in history. So, a moral injury historically has been used for things like the military. Right, in which people in the military are called to action and they're having to engage in actions that really go against their morality, right? Their values that they hold so dear. And this is really important for healthcare workers because as we've been trained in healthcare, we have been trained to sit with folks and to talk about what the plan is going to be. And we've always had ample resources there hasn't been much cause for looking at our morality, right, at what our morals are. And we saw this really start to happen in in March and April when we started worrying about how many hospital beds we want to have. And we're looking at the news, and we see the hospitals that are popping up in makeshift places, and we actually see the big Navy ship come in. And we're starting to wonder, you know, what is going to happen to folks as we continue to go through this and how long is this going to go for and how are we going to talk to people about what to expect, especially as they are in the hospital? So for the first time ever, clinicians and healthcare workers were looking at, we might have to talk about care with folks that we've never had to talk about before. And I think especially as it relates to grief and loss, you know, when we stopped having visitors in the hospital, we weren't able to have families to sit down with and say, you hey, here's what your loved one is going through. And here is what the plan is going to be. We're having to do this over an op-ed. This has really been a difficult time for the people addressing what their own values are, even as they have thought about why they're doing this in their field, in the field of medicine. And then the work expectations, which have just been so increased on people, nurses, physicians who used to work in different areas, residents, those in training who are spending more time working in the ICU than they had ever envisioned they would in their residency. And then compassion fatigue, which is somewhere I want to talk about for a minute, because we have talked about compassion fatigue. This is not a new term like moral injury is. But compassion fatigue is when we start to really feel that burnout of taking care of others and then we have to go home and worry about, am I bringing this virus home? Am I going to be impacting my family? So this compassion fatigue just continues to weigh on us. And then really what these societal expectations are, you know, there's a lot of physicians right now, a lot of healthcare workers that have told me that they hear this quote, this is what you have signed up for. And this really is not what people have signed up for. You know, They signed up for taking care of people and being a compassionate physician or advanced practice professional or a nurse, they certainly didn't sign up to making these critical decisions in the moment and then having to use an iPad to talk to families. So this has really been difficult on all these levels, especially from the moral injury side of things and the compassion fatigue side of things. So how has emotional intelligence been affected? What does emotional intelligence mean? And and how is this applicable to us as far as resiliency and the mental health impact? We're really, when we talk about emotional intelligence, we're talking about four different areas of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and social management. And for so long, clinicians, people in healthcare have looked at what is the social awareness or social management, right? We look at turning into others' emotions, Uh, having that empathy for others, which is so crucial in taking care of people. And then the social management piece, which which is the effectiveness of how our interactions influence others. And so now for the first time, I think that people are having to look at how am I going to be self-aware and how am I going to manage my own emotions by tuning into our emotions and how they impact our performance And then also regulating our emotions. Again, this is a job that is very difficult day in, day out under normal circumstances. So when we're under the burden and the pressure of this global pandemic, we're having to look at how is this affecting me? How are my emotions being impacted? How can I regulate them to go about my day and taking care of the people that I need to take care of? What does that mean? So how do we increase our resiliency? What are some different ways that people are using to increase their resiliency? And again, I talk about uh, people of the military, but even also groups and how groups talk about different things. So research has shown there's no better way to work through a traumatic event than to communicate with others who have been in a similar situation. And this is where uh, groups come in. You know, We talk about groups, we talk about self-help groups and uh, groups for domestic violence, I think it's always helpful to hear that other people have gone through similar situations because again, it's very difficult to explain how the situation has been if somebody has not walked in your shoes. So one of those biggest ways of increasing resiliency is to talk about others in that similar situation and say, you know what, this is how I'm feeling right now. I wonder if you're feeling the same way. And if you are, how are you making it through? This is what I've been doing. I'm curious as to how you are. And then how to implement this schedule of pleasure and accomplishment. So this is a really good way to increase resiliency. And when we use resiliency as a term, we're talking about the ability to bounce back, right? So we we think about uh, the elasticity of a rubber band and having that kinetic energy to to be pulled back and to bounce back. So what fills our cup, right? So how do we fill our cup enough to go in day in, day out, and take care of folks and deal with all the different emotional traumas that we're dealing with? So one of those ways is to implement a schedule of pleasure and accomplishment. And what that means really is looking at your day and making sure that we have time to experience the pleasure of things, and then to also experience the... Feelings of accomplishment that we get when we complete certain tasks. This has always been very important because it's easy to let both of these go to the wayside as we are working day in, day out, and then we don't think as much about pleasure and accomplishment. But you know, again, what research shows is that people who have that sense of individual pleasure and then that sense of accomplishment do much better and are resilient people. And then identifying what we can control versus what we cannot control. And I think this was something that really paralyzed people at the beginning of this pandemic in the spring, is that we had no control over this, right? This was a, a deadly virus that's being transmitted through air droplets, and, and people were starting to be concerned, I can't control this, right? And certainly we can't, but we can control certain aspects of this. we can control this by wearing a mask, by social distancing, by making sure that we're using hand sanitizer and washing our hands. So there's a lot of things that we can control. And I think as resilient people, we find that we look at what we can't control and try not to worry as much about things that we can't control, but instead of focusing on how can I control this situation? What is going to be most advantageous to me as I look at what we can control? And then try to create an optimistic outlook. And I know this is difficult right now, especially as we move into the winter months here in the U.S., because this is typically a a very isolating time in general. So, So how do we create this optimistic look? And really, I think a lot of it is focusing on what can we do? Again, we talk about control, but how do we see things moving from here? I'm glad we're talking about this right now at the beginning of the year because typically January is a time where people start to think about goals that they have. Uh, I don't like the word resolutions, I like the word goals, but we start thinking about goals that we have for 2021 and trying to really look at that optimistic outlook of there are some things that I can't control, but these are some things that I can control this is what's going to make me have an optimistic outlook this is what i'm looking forward to as an avid baseball fan uh, you know one of the things i missed out the most on in 2020 was not being able to go to any baseball games that's something that i frequently look at as far as my own individual pleasure and i'm having that optimistic outlook that at some point i will be able to go to a baseball game again that is something that that makes me feel optimistic so Again, another way to really increase our resiliency is to have that optimistic mindset. And we can't overlook the fact that this is such a unique time in history. The quote that you see here says, may you live in interesting times, which is actually a Chinese curse that has a little bit of sarcasm to it, meaning that, you know, I hope you, I hope you have an interesting time, per se. But really, you know, if we think about what has happened over the last nine to ten months, this is something we have never seen before in history, right? We are battling a virus and that came about and in, in nine short months, we are going to have a vaccine that is going to work on, you know, and, and we look back at prior vaccines, we have eradicated you know, certain diseases by using the science and technology that comes along with them. And I have a feeling, again, looking at from an optimistic outlook that we are going to move through this. This is something that is just, you know, unprecedented. And we use that term a lot now. But, you know, I continue to use that term and I use it in, again, that positive light that this is, this is so very interesting. We have seen this pandemic take hold. We've seen people do things they never thought we would. We have seen resiliency in ourselves as we are working through this. And then we're seeing our resiliency as we start to get these vaccines out, and we start to see things at some point, again, start to return to some type of a normalcy. And then what that means, and as we talk about the slide earlier from a typical timeline of trauma, you know, we'll be back again in that planning phase. And hopefully, as we're in that planning phase, we can actually think about You know, how are we going to plan for the next one, right? And we always look back and say, we know what didn't work, but what worked well for us? How did we really dig down deep inside of us and say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do, and we're going to make it through this. So as we're talking about this emotional impact, and as we're talking about the continued emotional impact, I hope that all the listeners today really think about what has worked well for them and how we can continue to work through this and come out on the other side. So why don't we take a minute and look at some questions? What are some ways to increase self-care as a team? I have seen many institutions recently create, and ours is actually called a proactive support team, which is led by one of our psychiatrists. But it doesn't have to be a formal team. It can actually be a team of volunteers. Uh, It can be just a group of friends that are being proactively supported right? So actually going out day to day and checking in with people and say, how are you today, right? How are things in your life? How are things at home? How are things here at work? For the leaders who are listening today, you know, I love that leadership quote, tell me about the pebble that's in your shoe, right? So and what that means is, you know, what is one thing that we can try to take care of today that, that might make it easier for you? And what I have found is oftentimes it's something very simple. It's, you know, I need more water, right? I would like to take a break. Is there a way that we can find somebody just to come in and give me a couple of minutes at, at a certain point to leave and take care of myself? So, really, we're not looking at huge changes in the system. We're just looking at those day to day self care items that we so frequently neglect. Another way, really, is trying to think outside the box and not limit ourselves to what we can't do, but think about things that we can do, such as taking a walk as a team, right? And so, and uh, we can socially distance and take a walk outside. And this is something that we do frequently in our institution is we'll have three or four of us go outside and face ourselves out and take a walk. And as we're walking, we'll discuss something that we see, right? We'll practice that mindful moment of, you know what, I really like the wintertime right now. I enjoy seeing the snow. This is something that I've always enjoyed looking at. So we go outside and we talk about those. And again, that takes us away from the, the moments That are so difficult once we go inside. So those those are some ways that we can certainly increase self-care. And I'd love for you to submit your questions about how you are looking at self-care in some ways that you would like to work on your self-care as we go into 2021. So again, my name is Aaron Sutton. I want to thank you for listening today as we talk about the continued emotional impact of COVID-19 and look forward to seeing you all soon. Take care.
1: Aaron, thank you so much for those updates. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to QA at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.